gentlemen, welcome back to a hoops journey. We're heading out east today to uh, sit down and chat with a legendary coach in the game, a gentleman who was an assistant on our last men's Olympic team to qualify, built a dynasty at uh, Humber College, had the opportunity to play against his teams many times, some good, some not so good, and the coach for the uh, Toronto men's basketball team. We have none other than Mr. Mike Cates with us. How are you, coach? Good, thanks, Aaron. Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for being with us. You know, being someone, it's it's a weird time in terms of feeling old enough to uh, have played against your teams and now sit down and <laughs> chat with you on a podcast, but we appreciate the opportunity to do so and uh, just learn more about you and your life through basketball. But how are things going and how's uh, kind of the fall been for you and, and um, how are we feeling about things going forward for you, your family, everything? Well, things are going very well. I mean, uh, the weather's been great, so I've been able to play a fair amount of golf. Oh, my family is uh, my kids are working away as lawyers, and uh, one with a family, both with families actually, and um, so we're going to actually all get together today. Nice. How's the golf game? Kind of up and down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you like it. Hey, you get out there yeah. as much as you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite a. I fought it off for a long time, and. Um, just slowly of each summer, you know, being a teacher, having summers off, so slowly starting to get into it. And it's a, it's a challenge. Like it's an interesting little sport, isn't it? Like um, there's one or two shots every round that just make you keep coming back. At least that's all I'm able to produce at this point is just a couple shots. I can't make a putt, but you know, the odd chip, I'm like, okay, I'll show up next week for a round, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's the old adage, you know, just give me one good shot and I'll be back the next day. So much we could discuss and chat with you about, but uh, take us back to you as kind of a young guy growing up. Where'd you grow up? Um, family life and sort of how sport sort of became part of who you were. Well, I grew up in the middle part of the city in Toronto. And uh, in those days, you played baseball, a little football and hockey. There was Basketball was just not part of your growing up, at least in grade school. But it was in grade school in the sixth grade when I asked the teacher, would she put down those hoops? I didn't even know what they were, but why were they up there and, and never down? And she, <laughs> I, uh, I think he, he he took them down and I said, OK, can I have a ball? And he gave me a volleyball because they didn't have any basketballs. But that was the, <laughs> that was my first hoop experience. Pretty neglected sport at the time. And so how, like, how did you find a way to get more involved in it then if it was something that was really not part or were you just involved in those other activities until something came around for you basketball wise? And which I one of those three did you like the most? I really liked baseball, but no, actually it was softball. It wasn't baseball, but, but there's, it was an organized league and in grade school, they took it seriously. Uh, so you felt good about it. Mm -hmm. Basketball, as I moved on in, in junior high school, you, you'd see there was more that emphasis on on playing basketball and then by high school that's when I decided this is what I want to do was there a coach or a mentor or did you just really start to enjoy the game like I think a lot of the guests that we've had and I know as a former player just really enjoy the aspect of all you need is a hoop and a ball and you need that teacher to put the hoop down and even if it's a volleyball you can still get some shots up right but what was it about basketball that drew you to the game and made you realize in high school that this was what you wanted to pursue a little bit 
I just think it was the feeling of shooting a ball to a basket. I, I you know, no other sport did did that. Uh, it was just a unique ex- sporting experience. I felt, and uh, as, as as you say, you can play alone and you can shoot for hours and dribble and work on your skills. But it wasn't till I got to high school that there was any real team play, and uh, I enjoyed that. I, my my high school coach, ninth grade coach. Taught me a left-handed layup, um, so it was the first fundamental I learned. And uh, I don't think there was any, anything taught after that. You kind of had to work those things out by yourself. So the, the teachers weren't really they, they weren't really versed in basketball. Yeah, it's true. That's interesting. And then as you kind of moved on into those later high school years, did you have a bit more of a program, or was it still sort of the same thing? It was kind of just hey, you figure it out. I can tell by your facial expression where this is going to go. <laughs> No, you had to, I still maintain, yeah, we, we had to figure it out by ourselves. Well, what we would do, the, the players amongst themselves would, you know, strategize and talk about what we can do to make the collective better. Mm-hmm. Even if our coach didn't know anything about basketball, uh, we were still able to at least, you know, work things out so that when we went on the floor, we kind of knew what we were doing. And then, you know, <laughs> so you're, it's just an interesting perspective because many of the people we've had have had, you know, just great coaches or someone that really sp- you know, stoked the fire for them and got the game developed. And for you, it sounds like it was just a very individual thing in terms of developing your own personal love for the game. Exactly. I think it was an individual pursuit, Aaron. Yeah. And then so during those high school years, how was the team or do we not want to talk about that? Was it a bit of a wash or uh, was there any success? We're a mediocre team. We had one really good player. Uh, and he said to me, Mike, if the head of his ed will get us warm up jackets. I'll stay. Otherwise, I'm going to Oakwood, which was one of the power, really the powerhouse in the city. And I went to the, <laughs> to the I went to the AD or the the coach, the, and he's head of the department. He said, "No, I'm, we're not going to do that." We lost him, and he had a great career with Oakwood and left us kind of barren. But um, as I said, we are somewhat mediocre. Is that why Humber always had nice warm ups when we yeah when sure we yeah yeah and make sure the guys come hey yeah. <laughs> And then after high school, did you continue on? Did you play anywhere? How does the basketball mind go from sort of a mediocre high school team to being someone as as elite level of a coach as where you are now? Like it's, I'm interested to hear more about the development in the game for you from a tactical side. Well, what I did was I went I went to University of Toronto in commerce and finance. That's what I took, and someone told me that the coach plays a lot of pickup at at noon. And, and this is before tryouts. And I said, well, so what? He said, well, if you don't go, he won't know who you are. You'll be cut along the, the 70 other people he doesn't know. So I <laughs> heeded that advice. And I played in about five or six of those mid, mid-afternoon games. And uh, he knew who I was by the time I tried training camp, you know, started. And I made the team. So I played, uh, I played three years at U of T. And how was that experience? Was it a big jump for you in terms of um, the level or? Oh, yeah, all that. I was you know, so had some one player in particular, Bruce Dempster, was one of the best players that I ever played with or against uh, at the collegiate level. We didn't have again, our coaching was not very good. And uh, as a result, you know, whatever I learned, well, he he taught us a little bit, but not much. So. After that experience, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Yeah. And so how did you figure it out? Well, I, I didn't really in terms of basketball at that point. I went into uh, accounting 
I was training to be a chartered accountant. And uh, at some point, I just decided, no, I don't want to do this. Um, and I took a year off and eventually got into teaching. I got into teacher's college and uh, became a, a teacher, graduated, you know, a BA in education and was ready to become a teacher. So in those days, and it's probably not much different now, it, it's hard to get a teaching job. So I went to this one school for an interview and there were 25 applicants for one job. And mm -hmm. the vice principal, you know, spoke to me and interviewed me. Um, I mean, your chances aren't very good, but for some reason he wanted to talk about you know, what sports I was interested in. And I told him basketball and he told me that he was a high school basketball coach before he was vice principal. And we talked basketball for a good half hour. When I walked <laughs> out of there, I knew, I knew I was going to get the job. So, that, yeah. <laughs> so I did as a result, uh, taught in the uh, economics and, and, and accounting business education department, started coaching a basketball team there. I love um, hearing those stories because I think it's something that, at least out West here, just that ability to, when a young teacher comes in for an interview, like you're not even allowed to ask what they want to do extracurricular wise. It's just legally not, you're not allowed. So whether they're involved in music or drama or want to coach sport, it's off the table in terms of a discussion. And I think obviously totally biased, but those people in the building are the most important in my eyes. I mean, we can all teach, we can all learn the content, but can you connect to the kids and can you create a culture within the school that makes, you know, a, a safe, fun place for kids to come to and people like yourself that are willing to do those things need to, I mean, you deserve that extra edge over those 25 people or else who knows what happens if they hire number 22 and not you, you know, the school just kind of remains the same, if that's making sense. Yeah, it does. I'm, I'm surprised I didn't know that, uh, that there's one an embargo on asking questions about you know, your versatility as an educator, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, literally in the in the public system, I teach at an independent school, but yeah, you're not, a, it's just, it's off the table and right. it's kind of just, here's my degree and here's my qualifications and here's what I'm able to teach. And then a conversation from there, which is, I mean, you learn so much about the kids in schools um, when you're able to do things extracurricular, right? Um, and that's where, right. that's where the fun stuff happens. And so do you, at this time, are you viewing yourself as a coach? Like, is it something you're like, okay, well, it's going to get me a job, so I'll, I'll do it and see how it goes? Or are you thinking, no, I, I really enjoy this uh, aspect of the game and, and enjoy the X's and O's? I think a bit of both, you know, in, in a sense that uh, let's see how this works out. But, but I was certainly interested. I coached a little bit in interfaculty basketball for the, my last year of school. I didn't play for the team, and I, and I did okay. some of that. So that was a bit of – that was an introduction to coaching, but um, – mm -hmm. It's not the same. Doesn't have the preparation and all that, you know, and all that stuff. But yeah, I was looking forward to it. We had a six eleven guy, Danny okay. Seckley was his name, and he ended up going to Bradley University. Um, oh. So we we were somewhat competitive and uh, uh, in in the first year, and that was really uh, exciting. Well, uh, what am I? I'm in my eighteenth year. Been doing the senior boys for sixteen, and I can't say we've had anybody over six six. So. Yeah. <laughs> you get 611 on year one. <laughs> and where does it go? Do you stay at the school for a while? I stayed at the school for, yeah, I stayed at the school for eight years. And then I was uh, moved to a, another school because of declining enrollment. I, I couldn't stay at the school. And I went just up the street to another school called York Memorial. And just around that time, there was an opening at Humber College to, for a basketball coach. So there was a good time for me because I wasn't, attached to a team in high school anymore. And uh, 
while at George Harvey, we had played a number of our regional games and finals at Humber. So the AD knew who I was. And I think that was a real, you know, I had a real in that way. And so I, you know, I got the job. And when you're, when you're now being paid as a coach, regardless of how much it is, it just feels different. You know, it's, uh, it, it, you take it a little bit more seriously. And uh, so I taught high school and, and, and commuted to the, to the college uh, for a few years until eventually I went half time at the college, half time at, at the high school. And then ultimately, eventually I was a head coach and I taught some economics in the golf management program at Humber College. So, as, you know, ostensibly I was full time. Pulled a bit of a Kevin Hansen, hey? Yeah. So, oh. <laughs> Kev taught at Langara as well when we were there. and But, I mean, that's as it should be, right? I mean, um, I'm not sure if you know Paul Eberhardt, who's at Langara now, but, you know, he's a high Paul. school teacher. Yeah, commuting all over the place. And, and uh, you know, it, it's great when the colleges or you find those opportunities just to make it, I mean, good f- for your livelihood, right? You're putting food on the table for the family, but you're kind of working in one place and you're in the building and talk about those years at Humber. I mean, obviously the success speaks for itself. Five national titles. You guys were a contender every year. And I was always intrigued to the brand of basketball that you played. I think, you know, out West, it's a different style of basketball out here, right? As opposed to kind of um, in the city of Toronto, it's it's a more up-tempo sort of game and, and um, athletic style. And you guys always... You know, you had to be able to to get up and down with you guys and be prepared to guard because you knew that uh, Humber teams would be coming at you, you know, pretty hard. So talk about those years and just building the program. Um, was there any program before you even got there or was it kind of just you working from square one? No, they, they, had, they had a good program. They went to the finals of the Ontario Championships. I think uh, the year I they graduated a number of players. So when I came in there, there was a brand new turnover. One of my assistants actually was from BC, Tom Elwood. Do you know Tom? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. He coached in high school on the island still. Yeah. He's, I mean, that's talk about basketball minds. Yeah. That's hilarious. Right. Yeah, we worked on, together. I didn't know he was, yeah. Was he, was he an Ontario boy? No, he's, he's from BC, oh. but he, oh, okay. he found work in, in, in Ottawa at first. At, I think he worked as an assistant coach. He was doing some other things. And then he came to Toronto and we just happened to, it was a letter he sent me uh, that mm. that stood out uh, in terms of maybe this guy's worth, you know, speaking to. And uh, turned out he was. He had a great defensive mind at the time, and we we had a good relationship. And I'm still still friendly with Tom today. I mean, if you're playing a Tom Elwood team, you, you got to know you he's going to know what you're running. <laughs> yeah, and you better have some counters. And he, he may not have the best talent because he's at a smaller school on the island, but those kids always play hard. And I mean, his success at Malspina with the women as well. I'll never forget. It, it wasn't long ago, and we were just sharing an email back and forth for you know a scout on a team, and he faxed me his notes. I'm I can't remember the last time I received a fax message from someone. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, right off the bat, you're you're an assist that you know. That's I mean, between the two of you, those basketball minds right there. How can how can Humbert not take off and talk about that? Like just from a recruiting perspective and sort of, you know, knowing that the college league, you got to kind of pinch pennies a little bit, right? You got to figure out who are the guys that I really want to invest in because you know there's not money flowing all over the place at the college level, right. and and just sort of how did you get the program and your coaching ability? I mean. It's interesting. You're 
coaching high school for not very long, you kind of get a, a check mark with someone who's connected to Humber and there you go. Next thing you know, it's like, all right, it's full on. Um, it's pretty cool. Well, we had a very good administration for basketball. My, my AD had played at U of T himself and, uh, you know, he didn't pinch pennies. If we needed to go somewhere, he would find the money. Our president uh, of the college, a man named Squee Gordon, who played basketball at Bishops, was very, very helpful. He'd support us. He'd, if we needed a little extra money, we could go to him. So we had a very, uh, you know, cohesive unit in terms of uh, basketball with the staff. What were those years like? I mean, reaching that first national championship had to have been a pretty darn good feeling. I mean, you're a pretty stoic guy, but, uh, you know, was it something that you ever really imagined? And, and from a coaching perspective, how did you learn and grow? Was it clinics? Was it your own reading? Was it asking other coaches in the community? Always interested in terms of how people are able to develop their X's and O's yeah. um, and their systems. Uh, it's been so long. Um, <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> well, well, just, you know, whenever I watched a game, I mm-hmm. pay attention to what was being run, how they were executing their offense, for example. Uh, I tended to be more in those days, uh, paying more attention to the offensive side of the ball. We would play a lot of Division Three American schools. And okay. we, we found that in playing them, you really came up against ex- good execution. So that was a good barometer for our teams. If we could execute against those guys, then, then we we're you know moving in the right direction. We had very good players too. I mean, we didn't recruiting was like I think there were three high schools within two two, you know, five kilometers of the school that we relied on in terms of getting players. And uh so you know, regionally that way we were able to attract some great players. And uh, I don't know, they, you know, then, then they keep coming, the kids would. One thing always it was intriguing too is um, you always had a balance too, and you always had some kind of older guys who seem like they're still trying to figure out life. And that's what I always liked about the college league was there still is an opportunity for guys to say, well, maybe they've had a year or two off, but they realize, all right, you know, I'm, I'm not enjoying what I'm doing and I need to go back and get a little bit of education so I can kind of move forward. And the college league allowed that opportunity. And you always had a kind of a mixed blend of that, right? Some young athletic guys, some sort of veteran guys, and always were able to, to make it work. It was interesting and, and got to a point where, I'm just going to guess that those teams, you had many guys either could have had the opportunity to move on whether they chose to or not. Is that, is that fair to say, like to the next level? Ultimately some did, but uh, I don't think the players themselves saw that as a, 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 you know, a real goal. They didn't see the universities playing that much better than they were. Uh, You know, certainly some, some schools were, but some universities were, but uh, no, they didn't, they didn't, uh, they don't look at it that way. Yeah. Interesting. And then, so for you, you're at Humber and how does Canada basketball start to come around? I'd love to just tap in a little bit about uh, the 2000 Olympic team. You know, it was a special time. We've had many of the former players, you know, Big Todd and Jay and Mavis yeah. and from from that group. But uh, how, how do you get involved with Canada basketball? I know being in Ontario, it's a more natural fit than being out West is just more happening in terms of that. But what made it inside of you was was something that you're interested in pursuing being part of the Canadian teams? Well, actually, it started uh, six years earlier when I was an assistant with uh, Ken Shields and Jerry Hemmings. Uh, Ken was the head coach, Jerry Hemmings and I were the assistant coaches. And uh, I was a, what would they call it, a fledging assistant in his first year at that level. And <laughs> I got that because 
You got your breakfast paid for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the national team was was training at Humber, used Humber right. College as their training grounds for the for the fall of '94, I guess. And I then saw an opportunity that maybe if I could get a leave of absence from both the Humber team and my high school teaching, this could work. And as it turned out, I went to the, I guess it's the head of the education department and asked him if I could get a leave for this reason. And he was a basketball player and he said, fine. And then I went to my own head, head uh, college president and I talked about him, Mr. Gordon. And he said, yeah, fine. So what, what happened was I got a leave of absence from both areas and then was with Ken and, and, and Jerry and the national team because they were hosting, Toronto was hosting the world championships in 94. Right. So that was my first exposure to the international game. And that was quite, that was quite interesting. Was there anybody along your way that you had to ask a favor for that wasn't involved in basketball? <laughs> doesn't seem like, <laughs> doesn't seem like it. Pretty easy conversations if they understand where you're coming from. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I mean, what, what an experience right away. I, I just find personally intriguing, like you're still young and in the coaching game and you get to just sort of mentor underneath the minds of Jerry Hemmings and Ken Shields. I mean, talk about, I mean, you're asked, we asked you five minutes ago about how you learned the game. I mean, there's your professional development right there. Am I right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause we had international trips in the fall, a bit in the winter, and then uh, back in the, in the spring before the world championships. So uh, it was, it was a, a year round thing. If you can recall, I mean, you're not that old, but just if you can recall, when I think of the names Ken Shields and I think of Jerry Hemmings now, not having ever played for Ken, but hearing him at clinics and knowing his style and then actually having played for Jerry, right? Two very different personalities and probably different styles. What was that dynamic like and how were they able to mesh? And I'm sure you learned a lot about being an assistant as well. And, and then that probably ends up making you an even better head coach because when we're in those roles, we have an understanding of what people are going through. Yeah. Just an interesting combo. Well, I think Ken had a lot of respect for Jerry's knowledge of basketball. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that's why he chose him. And in fact, he told me that. And so I was able to get, you know, learn and get insight into the game from, from both Ken and, and, and Jerry in a way that, uh, I might not have had if, it, if the assistant coach was just somebody, you know, exactly, you know, attuned to Ken's style, that type of thing. Yeah. But uh, no, it worked. It, it, they worked well together. Yeah. I just, that's, that's cool. And I, and I just interesting here and, and um, part of me wishes that younger years had opportunity like that to just be a part of that and, and, you know, get to see international basketball and the different style of play and how different was it from say, the CCAA, like what, I mean, you weren't even at CCAA yet, but what you were seeing and then you go and you're playing against all these countries, was it overwhelming at times or were you just sort of taking mental notes or? A bit of both, uh, overwhelming because Ken's knowledge was so high <laughs> and he, his practices reflected that. Uh, so, you know, you kind of felt like, geez, you got so much to learn here, but, but that's why you're there. So um, you, you glean the, the stuff you really like and that you can yep. get something out of in, in terms of what what Ken was 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 coaching and teaching, um, and uh, that that made it fine. Yes, it was overwhelming, but at the same time, it was the experience I needed. Yeah, for sure. I uh, love that insight. And let's just jump into that. What a special experience for you and that group of of guys on that team. You know, two thousand making that run to the Olympics. 
take us a little bit. What are some stories that stick out to you? You and Mavis playing guitar late at night or what was it? Like, I mean, this always, the thing that was so intriguing sitting in Brandon and watching the team play, um, it just seemed like it was more than just a, a group of guys together trying to compete. It was like almost kind of like a mini family. Like it just seemed like everyone really clicked. There was a good culture and, and it worked well. I mean, obviously it did because look at the run that happened, but um, it must've been a pretty special thing to be a part of knowing that it's been so long that we've even gotten to the Olympics. Right. Yeah. Well, I think Jay, Jay created the culture and uh, his, I think his experience was as a player for Jack Donahue and that whole family style of uh, going through a, a season. And uh, so it, it's something he felt worked very well. And if his teams could achieve it, they could get a lot of traction. And and, and it was, the team really bonded and uh, guys got along very well and, uh, you know, did pretty well, no, no question. And how about the leadership of someone like a Steve Nash, right? We, we've all heard the stories about him and, you know, giving up his seat on the plane and, and kind of just making sure everyone was taken care of. But from a coach, did you have an opportunity to work with him before that? Or was that sort of the first um, opportunity you had to be around? No, him? he was on that 94 team, world championship I was team. Ask that. He was, hey, that yeah. young, he was still on that. I thought I yeah. thought so. He played in the old Maple Leaf Garden, right? Right. Yeah. Actually, they played, thought. where did they play? They, they played, they played at varsity. Maybe they played at varsity arena. I'm trying to remember. Okay. But uh, so, no, he had played six years previously and I, yep. I, I was with him then and uh, got a real great insight into what, what this guy was all about. Which was what, like, what was, what were some of the takeaways for you? That's just seeing him that you carried for, you know, or kept in your mind as a coach. I think just his, his personality, his persona, he was so much more than a, than a very good or great basketball player. I don't, just something about his uh, smile, his, his, his joy, and his sense of humor that, uh, you know, made him stand out. It's, and you can tell, I mean, I think he's, he's so unique, right. And, and his skill set goes more beyond than just basketball. How did it feel to walk out for those opening ceremonies at the Olympics? Was it goosebump moment? No, that was great. I had just come back from Perth where I was scouting, uh, a preseason, a pre, a pre Olympic tournament, mm-hmm. uh, about a week before the, the games opened and uh that was that was interesting because jay was relying on what i what i had seen for when we opened our our, the olympics and uh i had a pretty good scout on australia and spain but the team that i couldn't figure out was france and watched them play in that pre-olympic tournament and i they had so many parts and different guys that i just said to jay i don't know this is a tough team that's it turned Mm -hmm. out it was a very tough team yeah no doubt pretty cool to have that confidence from from jay though hey to send you off and know that he trusts you and that um whatever you bring back he knows is going to be is going to be right it's got to feel good <laughs> yeah I, and then after we had success with uh with spain and australia he asked me mike so what about france he some he got something similar i said well jay they're, they're a tough team <laughs> and uh the guy who who shut down nash in the game, I don't think he even played 10 minutes a game in, in, in the, the two games I saw or, or the Olympics themselves leading up to the final game. Basketball is a funny sport. And then, you know, you obviously were involved with Canada basketball for so long. One thing we talked about the other day was being part of the FISU games as well. Coach Hansen talked about it too, just being such a fun, unique experience. Take us through that. He, you know, it was kind of like the student Olympics almost. Hey. Yeah. 
No, that was great. It was in Sicily, which was a beautiful country. And uh, we had a pretty good, pretty good team, very good team and lost in the final to the U.S. by, I think, five points. Uh, but I that was my first was that my first head coach. I think I had done the uh, Jones Cup as a head coach, but this was a more significant event. And uh, I was I was pretty pleased with the silver medal. When you're there, is it like an Olympics? Do you get the opportunity to go and watch other sports or is it just kind of you're packed into your own basketball for a week or so and then you got to get out of there? Or is there still the same sort of experience and feeling to it? It's pretty much you're, you're contained within your sport. In fact, mm -hmm. I saw a little bit uh, more events in the, in the Olympics in Sydney, right? Could catch about three or four outside events. So you, you have all these amazing experiences, you're with Humber for so long, and then someone, you know, if you're, let's say, vintage, why, why the pursuit of wanting to go to the University of Toronto? Was it something that was a benchmark for you? Was it an opportunity that you couldn't pass up? I'm sure you did a lot of juggling around thinking about making that move, or maybe you didn't. Maybe it was when the opportunity came, you, you, you just took it. Um, but I'm just interested to know kind of why the U of T and, and how's that going sort of for you? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good mm. question, Aaron. I think it was just that one last opportunity. I guess at that time, I'm in my early 50s. Just try that level. And, uh, you know, it's a school I went to myself. I just, you know, it was, it was time to change. Just time for change. I was there seven years and uh, we had actually, we, we had some very good years. After our first year, we were, you know, we just, we, you know, unfortunately we were up against Carlton every year. And even in our best team, we lost by three to Carlton at Carlton. We lost by two or three at home against Carlton. We, we couldn't beat them, but uh, we, we sure came damn close. And I felt good about that. The other thing that made made it all the worthwhile was I got to coach my son. Okay. Who had played at McMaster for four years and transferred and did his master's at, at U of T. And I had that one year with him. That's so cool. That's so yeah. cool. And what was that relationship like? <laughs> Was, I think it, was it one of those? Did he let you? He knew I had. Yeah, he he knew I had to make certain decisions as a, as a coach, and he you know he just reacted as a player would. And uh, you know when we're away from the court, we would talk about the team. But it, he understood that he, you know, just just do your part and things will take care of itself. But I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, that's a great experience. So For by sure. then, my my daughter Emma and uh, my wife were coming to every game. They came to Humber games too, but but now they had a real vested interest, and they're both real basketball people. So they weren't full on until your son was actually part of the team. Hey, <laughs> well, my, my my wife wasn't, but she was still supportive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just giving you a hard time. What was the biggest for you, if you think, was there a big change between college and the U-sport level? What What were the biggest things that you noticed right off the bat? The same. Yeah. You know, you're coaching basketball. These kids are all the, they were of equal, of equal age. There wasn't much of a difference. No, I, I, ne I never looked at it that way. I just another, another, another place to coach. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. And then, okay, so you you know you're there, and when did you know things are sort of starting to wind down for you on that on that end of uh, of your sort of journey? I think I just wanted to get away from teaching and coaching, and I've been at it a long time, um, and I did. And what I did after that, I got involved with some mentoring where I would be uh, an, a mentor to certain 
about three or four teams a year. Uh, I worked with Queens for a while. I worked with Ryerson, worked with Brock, worked with Guelph, worked with Humber. So that that's another role, you know, that, that another, it's a, that's another evolution of one's career that they become, you know, a, a person who can provide advice when asked for it, uh, that type of thing. I love that. I also love how you say when asked for it, not just forcing your advice, but I think, you know, with the many coaches we've had on, uh, you know, like Roy Rana and other people and just talking about, I know they're trying to get that initiative basketball coaches of Canada going, right. We've had, we've had Olga on as well. And just sort of that mentorship phase, I think is so vital. I know as a young coach, I would have benefited um, immensely from it. You know, I still tapped into as many people as I could, but to have someone with your sort of breadth and knowledge to just be a phone call away or, Hey, can you come to our practice? What what are your thoughts on this? I think we need a little bit more of that, you know, in our country and, and utilizing the people that have seen the game as resources for, for young coaches. Well, how is that going that basketball coaches? I think that I, I was just looking at the website. They're just getting it off the ground. I mean, the, the people that are involved in it are phenomenal. Um, it just needs a little bit more exposure and to get it going, I know um, Roy was saying that they want to, Coach Rana was saying they want to do kind of like a weekly blog, but, you know, obviously balancing everyone's life and their coaching lives, it, you know, it's hard to get these things off the ground, but it it looks like a good initiative, um, just needs the support and time, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can uh, chair it. Uh, sure. I mean, you got winter coming around the corner, you won't be able to get on the golf course, so we got to yeah, find something no. for you to do, though. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah, let me know anything, Aaron, about that. Awesome. So are you involved in it yourself? I'm not. Nope. Okay. I'd love to <clears throat> be part of it. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, that's the good part about where we are now, you know, in 2021 with sort of how you had to learn and develop your coaching. For us and for young coaches now, you know, it's it's a quick hop on the Internet. Um, it's a subscription to Chris Oliver or whatever it is, right? Like there's so many resources for us out there, but you really can't take away from the personal one-on-one mentorship. Do you know what I mean? Like the yeah. in-person actual feeling that physical presence of someone being at your practice or having a coffee with you and sharing their experience. Um, you can't really take that away. Do you think? No, no. Yeah. No, I agree. I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you were to think of yourself just graduating teacher's college, kind of looking for that job, a couple of years in coaching, what advice would you give a young coach out there who's thinking that they really enjoy the game and want to learn and grow? Is there anything that sticks out to you in your mind that you would say, hey, if you could uh, maybe go back, what advice would you give? I would advise them this way. It's something that I've kind of worked out myself, both from being a classroom teacher, which I was for a long time as well as a coach, is that I felt that what kids want to do is they want to, they want to learn. They, they, want to, they want to get better. They also want to compete, and they want to have a good time. And I looked at those three things, and I said, look, if I can teach our kids to get better in the game of basketball and, and other areas that maybe they, they needed, and compete, meaning they want to play. They don't want to hear a coach go on and on and on, standing around for 10 minutes, you know, they – and they want to have a, a good time. What does that mean? They want to enjoy the experience. I think it's put it that way. So those three things, were, I think, are really important. Kids want to get better. They want to compete. And they want to enjoy the experience. Well, if you can't be jovial at times in practice, they'll never enjoy the experience. And, that, and that's all those things, I think, when added together, those three elements, 
I think you uh, have a pretty good blueprint as a coach. Man, you can see me giggling and I'm giggling not about thinking about other coaches. I'm thinking about my young self, right? And kind of, and this is exactly what I mean about the mentorship thing. Like if I had someone just tell me that like a Wednesday night loss by four is not the end of the world, <laughs> you know, and, and just sort of being able to recognize that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. One of the things, you know, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to work with, we've mentioned many times, Rich Chambers. Richie Chambers is even more involved with the women's side in Canada, but uh, he was my high school coach and he was pretty intense. And I kind of just thought that's who I was going to be. Right. And I wasn't being authentic to who I was. And it took me a long time to figure that out. I was trying to just be, you know, this sort of loud, sort of boisterous. And it was, it just wasn't me. And did I even think how much fun the kids were having, especially at the high school level? I mean, you're saying this and you coached U sport, right? Like it's still an experience, right? They still got a, 15 years later, want to look back and go, Hey, that was a fun time. Like it was intense. We competed. It was hard, but also I've got hundreds of stories, you know, and, um, those two things I think compete and, and are they enjoying it? Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And this is a, you're nailing it, man. Look at this. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Ready for some fun questions here before sure. we kind of get you on your way. Okay. Well, we'll go, we'll go with a serious one for you. You obviously like music, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So dead or alive, doesn't matter the artist you get to take, you get four or five free tickets, best seat in the house. Who, what concert are you uh, going to go to coach? I'm going to say the beach boys. If everybody had a Ooh. Tell I was a me big more. fan. I was a big fan okay. in the day. And, uh, to see them one more time would be great. Just a just a good sort of atmosphere and vibe from them. Just yeah. sort of a fun, yeah. Okay, all right. Is there anybody else? I mean, shout out to Andrew. Maybe Paul said you like to play the guitar. So what else? Paul Simon, you're gonna say? Paul Simon. Okay. Big fan of Paul. Okay. Paul Simon's work. Give us one more. I'd like to see Joni Mitchell now. That I, I, oh. I don't think I ever saw her oh. live. Well, there's Corbin. He is listening. I'm now interested. <laughs> Corbin's a big music guy too. He he likes to sing and and. I want to hear Big Yellow Taxi live. There you go. I like it. Okay. Do you read much? I uh, I used to read a lot. I read less now for some reason, but I'm trying to get back into it. Okay. Is there a a book for you that stands out? That's a, a favorite, or is there something that you've read recently that you could suggest to our listeners? I just read a book about the 1969 Laker Boston Celtic final. It was a reporter named Lee Montville who is was at Sports Illustrated for many years, and he goes back when he was a, uh, a young writer covering that series and retrieves all his old notes and writes this book uh, mm-hmm. about the games within that series. Uh, the Celtics won, and that was Russell and Chamberlain and Jerry West and uh, Sam Jones for Boston. So that was a golden time in basketball for me, that late 60s, early 70s. And the book was pretty interesting, yeah. Is that uh, Tall Men, Short Shorts, the 1960s NBA Finals, Wilt, Russ, Lakers, Celtics, and a Very Young Sports Reporter, I believe is the book. Yes, Corbin, have you seen it? I bought the uh, Kindle sample, so I have a couple, couple weeks ago, so I have read a little bit of it. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, the tall, what is it, tall? Short. Tall men, short shorts. Yeah, tall men, short shorts. Yes. I love that title. <laughs> I 
love the Lakers Celtics. I mean, that was, it was still going on in, uh, you know, I'm a born in 77. So magic was my guy and my brother was a bird guy. So, you know, even still got carried on, but I mean, that just those names that you mentioned, what a rivalry who have been some of the most important people in your life. My wife, a couple of really good friends. You said the wife. That's good. Well done. Yeah. He paused there for a sec. I was like, Oh, I hope he says it. <laughs> Not that she's going to listen to this because she's probably tired of hearing you. Okay, you've talked about some throwback basketball players. Love the generation that you got to grow up in. So I'll, I'll take this two ways. One, who do you think is the greatest basketball player ever? And two, who were the who were the guys that you idolized or sort of looked up to? Was it the Jerry Wests and them or was there someone else? Well, everybody, everybody's going to say Jordan because you get shot down if you didn't. But I'm going <laughs> to put him in his own category and not including him i've come up with wilt russell jabbar and magic yes are you a laker fan by chance no no i was more a celtic fan growing up uh do we do we kind of just forget about jabbar like i feel he, like he should be in the conversation more he was so dominant i don't know why he isn't that's why i brought yeah. him up i think he's he's making a lot of a lot of you know impressive forays into journalism and uh you know he's he's really conscious he's, he's very conscious out there he's he's great for sure yeah I, I would agree with that and uh for those that don't know heck of a basketball player too so and magic love the magic call that was magic's my favorite all time bit of a controversial topic here on a hoops journey but uh how do you feel about putting ketchup on your macaroni uh i don't eat macaroni so i you know the ketchup's not part of the <laughs> situation well, what is the go-to meal? You have a nice night out. What, what are you going to? A little steak, lobster? What do we got? Uh, these days, you know, nice sea bass. Fish. Okay. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Do you fish yourself? No. Just no. eat it. Just My kind of guy. Yeah. Now, this is one that coaches don't really like answering and because they're usually worried about kind of leaving someone out. But who are some of the greatest players that you had the chance to coach or maybe some of the greatest players, if you don't like going down that road, that you coached against and you thought, wow, like that is that's a tough check. That's a that's a tough scout. That's a real talent. Well, Steve Nash is is the best player I've ever coached. Uh, even as an assistant, like I, I've got to include him. Uh, yeah. And, you know, all those guys who run the Sydney team, um, you know, they're the best players I ever I ever saw. There you go. Can we talk about uh, Rowan Barrett for a sec? Yeah. Sure. Like, how good was that guy? He was he was he was very good. He was great right. in transition. He and Steve really understood how to get free and how to find each other in transition. He became a very good shooter and he worked that part of the of his game. You know, you, you see his son in the NBA. So. Not, not 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 much of a surprise. No, he was a stud, and I just think you know, because of Steve, maybe he slips under the radar for Canada basketball. For those that don't know, but he was unreal, and that roster like Meeks and you know Swordsy and Big Todd and Garachi, Mave, all those guys like just big Eric Heinrichsen. I mean, yeah, what a what a great group, and uh, I love that you stopped it there though. We'll go with that. The Sydney roster, well done, safe safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you're getting a little bit munchy on the golf course, you go to the turn, you're not feeling like a hot dog, but you're going to get a bag of chips. What bag of chips do you grab? Well, I don't eat them, but I did like Ruffles. Ruffles what? Plain? Yeah, plain. Oh, another plain guy. Okay. 
Corpse, how many people always say, I don't eat the chips? It makes me feel very self-conscious about maybe. A little bit. It make, makes me feel a little bit. Yeah. It's like we. It's like we're being shamed. On <laughs> maybe I need to. Yeah, maybe we need to check ourselves and our chip habits. <laughs> I think so. I think. I think just maybe it's, it's a little dog whistle for us. <laughs> oh, I love it, um, Coach. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us. One more question. Um, and it, upon reflection, all the ups, the downs, the in betweens, the wins, the losses. If you could do it all again, you would what? Uh, I would do what I did. I, I enjoyed every minute of my coaching career. I wouldn't do anything differently. Yeah. Just take it all as it comes and learn yeah. from it. Yeah. Th basically that was my approach. Awesome. And Put uh, away at what, what you need and, and work with that. And that got you many wins, lots of success, many connections with players and coaches travel all over the world. And, uh, we appreciate you coming and kind of sharing your story and knowledge and and your journey but uh any last sort of reflections or thoughts before we get you uh on your way to enjoy your sunday well just having done this today you know i've brought back a lot of memories and uh, for that i'm i'm grateful so thank mm -hmm. you for having me on the show both to uh to you aaron and corbin and uh i assume i'll be told what when i'm going to hear this or you got it we'll send you all the information we know it'll be a good episode we got to give chet a little bit of a shout out as connecting us and reconnecting us. It's been a fun adventure because I get to go back and sit down with legends like you and know more about you and your your life and your basketball story. So we do appreciate you uh, being with us and continued success and health and happiness for you and your family. Just keep it going. And I'll, I'll see Chet tonight. So I'll pass on your regards. You got it. Please do say hi for me and uh, okay. make sure you sharp, make sure you sharpen up that guitar just in case you run into Mavis one day. <laughs> I will. All right. <laughs> Thanks to our sponsors, Parkside Brewery and Good Lad Clothing, and we'll see you on the next episode.